right. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Today, as we continue our study in the Beatitudes, uh, greater, and we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, today we're going to look at the next Beatitude, which gives us another description of those who are truly in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at, again, one verse today, and that verse is verse 7. The word of the Lord says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray right now, Lord, as I preach your word, that you, Father, would have your way, that you would speak your word boldly through this vessel. And God, the words that I speak would be that which you speak, Father, and I pray that you would be glorified and that Christ would reign true in the preaching of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's great confusion in our society society today about what constitutes a true Christian. You know, we live in this world of uh, self-identity, right, where you get to pick who you are. You get to pick your own identity, and no one is to ever question it. You want to be a woman even though you're a man? Why not? You want to be a man even though you're a woman? Sure. Or if you just want to be non-binary and not be anything. You can do that in today's culture, in today's society. You get to decide your own identity, and nobody else can question that. Because, because truth in our society. We've gotten rid of objective reality to so today again you can be whatever it is that you want to be and if you challenge that you're just hateful you're just a bigot and it's hate speech well as you haven't noticed over the decades the church tends to go where with the culture so unfortunately you have the same uh, mentality inside many churches where you have people who identify as a Christian. And that is never to be challenged. That is never to be questioned. If it is, then it's hateful and it's judgmental. It doesn't matter what the person does. It doesn't matter how they live. It doesn't matter even what they believe. As long as they profess, I am a Christian, I believe in a Jesus, then you and I are to never question that. They're a Christian because they said they're There is a lot of product, and scripture gives us insight into what truly constitute, constitutes a Christian. And that's what we continue to look at today. All throughout scripture gives us clear indication of what a true Christian is. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have have come. Friends, that really does mean that a Christian is a new person. They are a born again new person. They have been born again by the Spirit of God. And this has been the challenge throughout centuries. It's not just a challenge today in our culture about identifying a true Christian, but it's been a problem throughout the centuries. Those in the first century, in Jesus' time, they had similar errors in believing they had, a, they had a wrong view of who truly was a child of God. In the context where we find us, ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount, those in Jesus' audience believed that salvation came through physical lineage, 
And that salvation came through works of the law, outward performance, not only works of the law, but also works and abiding by the rules that were uh, extra biblical, that were over and above and beyond even what was in Scripture. So in the Beatitudes here, Jesus corrects all of those wrong and describes a true Christian, a true child of the king. So let's look. It's important to know that there is a progression in these Beatitudes. Again, these Beatitudes describe who a true Christian is. And each one builds on each other in some form or fashion. So if you look at the first one in verse 3, this is the foundation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he starts out by saying these are the, those that are in the kingdom are the ones who are blessed because they are poor in spirit. Meaning they know that they have absolutely nothing to offer God. Their spiritual life is bankrupt. They have absolutely nothing to earn the favor of God. There's nothing that they can do, say, or will do that will inherit favor from a holy and righteous God. Blessed are those who realize that they have nothing to offer, that they have nothing, no righteousness within themselves. And then the second beatitude builds on that. Look, verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. See, this builds upon those who are poor in spirit, those who realize that they're bankrupt. They have nothing to offer God. Then they mourn. Why? Because they realize they have nothing, and they are totally, eternally damned unless God saves them. Blessed are those who mourn. They mourn over their sin. Well, this builds upon the next one, which says, Blessed are the gentle, or your version might say meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, a reference, they shall inherit the earth, is a reference to those who will live, rule, and reign with Jesus Christ for eternity in a new heaven. You see, when we defined this in that sermon that I, that I preached, meekness is not just being soft and gentle with others. It's having a right view of oneself that you are absolutely nothing and humbled. Uh, that you are meek in your mindset towards God and you're meek in your mindset towards others. You see, someone who is poor in spirit, who mourns over their sin, they become a very humble, a very meek and gentle person. Which that builds upon the next beatitude, which is verse 6. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, friends, when someone's poor in spirit, they realize they have no righteousness of their own. They realize the stuff they've done in the past, as good as they may sound, means nothing in the sight of God. They mourn over their sin. It causes them to be humbled and meek. Then it turns from introspective to reaching out for the righteousness of God. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. And then that brings us to today. So you see the progression of this Christian brings us to verse 7 where it says, Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. So this sermon really just has one point. I'm going to divide it out just a bit. But that one point is this. Those whom God has shown mercy to are merciful. Those whom God has shown mercy to are merciful. 
First, I want to go to the negative, what mercy is not. Okay, I want to define it by what it's not before we define it what it is. Mercy is not somebody who's generally apathetic. Mercy is not someone who's apathetic towards sin. Mercy is not someone who is not being a person who just doesn't care, like, okay, whatever, I don't care what anybody does, I don't react to anything, I just keep my head in the sand. It's not being a person who, uh, like I said, sticks their head in their sand and just pretends that everything's okay. That's not someone who is, that's not what being merciful means. You know, we see that in our culture today with some of the national sins throughout our culture, like homosexuality or abortion. You see the culture, and in many churches, saying that we must be merciful by accepting them, by not saying anything. You know, it's, it's merciful to just let them get, go on their way, let them do what they're going to do, leave it into God's hands. We're not to say anything. We're not to say that, that, call it out as sin. We're not to call them to repentance. We're not to do any of that. We're to be merciful. Well, friends, that is not the definition, according to Jesus, on what it means to be merciful. So that's what merciful is not. What it means to be merciful is this. You know, you've probably heard this, and I've heard this all throughout my Christian walk many, many years ago, that mercy is giving somebody what they don't deserve. Has anybody ever heard that? Yes, and some head nods. As opposed to grace is giving, uh, um, giving somebody what they don't deserve. Mercy is not giving somebody what they do deserve. Right? We've heard that. I've heard that. Now, mercy is that. Mercy, it does mean to be a forgiving person. And to not give somebody what they do deserve. But friends, mercy is actually much more than that. Although merciful, being merciful means being forgiving, it doesn't stop there. To be merciful means to be active in showing compassion to those afflicted or those who are in a miserable state. Here in our text, mercy is used twice as an adjective first and then as a receiving verbal form, for they shall receive mercy. And they mean the same thing. It's the same Greek word, it's just parsed different. One as an adjective, one as a verb. But it means to be compassionate in the Greek. It means to be, either in word or deed, to show mercy upon. It, ha- it means to help those that are afflicted. Help those that are in misery. There's a sense of compassion that comes from the heart to be merciful and that compassion doesn't stop in the heart it leads to action there's almost like a um, a pity and in the greek there there is a sense of having pity upon somebody because they're in a miserable or afflicted state Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones defines mercy this way by comparing it to grace. He says, grace is associated with men in their sin. Mercy is associated with men in their misery. Well, to illustrate this, turn to Luke chapter 10 with me. And we're going to look at a very well-known parable. Luke chapter 10. Starting at verse 30, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down 
on the road. And when they saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, verse 37, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Notice in there, verse 37, the one whom showed mercy to him. That's the same word that's used here in our text. In this parable, the Samaritan was merciful to the man in misery. The man was in pain, he was afflicted, he was in misery, and he had compassion which led to action, and that was being merciful. And that's how we ought to be, and Jesus says here, you go and do the same. Or you might think, yes, amen, Mark, that's what I do. I see someone who's afflicted, who's in a poor and miserable state, and I have compassion, and, and that's good, and I praise the Lord for that. But I want to illustrate it a little bit different way. Turn to Acts 7. Acts chapter 7. We have the early church here, starting at verse 57. We have Stephen who just preached a message. And in verse 56, after he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, they didn't like that because they crucified Jesus and they didn't like him speaking of seeing Jesus there at the right hand of God. Verse 57 says, But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. Now, in case you didn't know, these weren't small rocks. These were big, heavy stones that were meant to put people to death. They took him out, they stoned him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Look at verse 60. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's getting there stoned to death by people who were vile, who were raging in their anger, who were stoning him to death. And here Saul exhibits an act of mercy upon his own enemies. How could he show such mercy and why? These were wretched men. These were violent men. How could he have such mercy upon them by asking the Lord to not hold this sin that they're doing right now, do not hold that sin against them while he was being 
persecuted, while he was being reviled against, he prays for them. How could he do that? Stephen's just like you and I. We're flesh and bone. Well, Stephen knew that these men were lost in their sin. He knew that they were bound to eternal damnation. He knew that these men were blinded by the God of this world, that they were slaves to sin, and that they were children of the wrath of God. And Stephen had pity on them because those men were the most to be pitied. Stephen knew where he was going. He asked the Lord, receive my spirit. He knew where he was going, but his oppressors, he knew, were bound to hell. Those were the men that were truly in misery. Not Stephen, were the men that were stoning Stephen. And that's why, because he truly understood the idea of having mercy, he truly understood that those men were the ones most to be pitied, and he prayed for them. To be merciful means to pity those in need to the point of being prodded to action to relieve their misery. Does that describe you, I ask, today? When somebody wrongs you or somebody afflicts you or somebody harms you, do you look upon them with pity? Do you look upon them with a merciful and compassionate heart because they're the ones that need Christ? They're the ones that need prayer? Well, I want to continue to illustrate this, and the Bible's uh, full of illustrations. I'm going to show you one more. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Start at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay him, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Look what verse 27 says. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, and released him, and forgave him the debt. And you know the rest of the parable. The slave went out, he found another slave who owed him a smaller amount of money, and that slave prostrated and said, please have patience with me, and he didn't. He didn't forgive him of the debt. He didn't have compassion for him. Instead, he threw him into prison until he could pay back all that was owed. So then some of the other servants went to go report to the king who had repaid the first man, and look down at verse 32. The king who had forgave this huge amount of debt summoned him and said, you wicked slave. I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have what? Mercy on your fellow slave. In the same way that I had mercy on you. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you 
if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Wow. Verse 33, again, he says, shouldn't you have had mercy? See, this king, friends, this king pitied this man who could not pay his debt, and out of his compassion, he was moved to action and relieved this man of his misery. He forgave him of this huge amount of debt. Does that describe you today? When somebody is ill towards you, when somebody has offended you, when somebody has done you wrong, has sinned against you, has done unthinkable things, do you seek your own rights? Do you seek to establish your own justice? Do you seek to pay back or to make sure that that person gets what's due to them? Because that's the opposite of mercy. Or do you pity them as this king pitied the man? Do you pray for them as Stephen prayed for the men stoning him? Brothers and sisters, I want to ask, who has wronged you that you have not been merciful to? Who has wronged you where you have not forgiven them of their debt? Who has wronged you to the point that you have no pity towards them, you can't pray for them? You want something bad to happen to them. You want God to establish his justice on them. That's not pity. Or that's not merciful, friends. Now, it's important that you understand what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about crimes that are committed against you where there needs to be some sort of justice, but that's the civil magistrate's job, and that's what the civil magistrate's to do. As a matter of fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount has, taken, has been taken out of context throughout the millennia to, ta- to say things like, well, there should be no police there should be no army protecting us because you know jesus said if somebody slaps you on the face you turn the cheek so there's no civil magistrate justice that's not what jesus is talking about this is personal relationship this is person to person okay so i'm not talking about a hyenas crime that's committed and not seeking from a civil magistrate perspective justice because that is there what i'm talking about is how you are with that person you know, it never ceases to amaze me when there's a family of believers where a heinous crime has been committed against somebody, whether it's murder, rape, or something, and, and they seek justice through the civil magistrate, but they also freely have forgiven and pity that man and share the gospel with that man in hopes that he would be saved. Friends, that's mercy. That's compassion. So I ask you today, are you merciful? How we've described it today. Are you a merciful person? Or do you always seek your own vengeance and seek your own justice? So why is it so important that you and I, as believers, be merciful? Why is this so important that we be merciful as God is merciful? Well, that's the whole point, friends. God is a merciful God. God is a merciful God. Not only does God show mercy, friends, it's intrinsic within his character that he is a merciful God. Just as God is holy, his his character is that he's holy. His character also is that he is merciful. You don't have to turn there, but Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, says this, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, 
slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and first, fourth generations. Friends, if you look at that passage where it says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, that word there, when it's translated into the Greek Septuagint, it's the same word here in our text today. Blessed are the merciful. God, he is compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Verse 7 says, who keeps loving kindness. That's the verbal form of mercy. He's merciful for thousands. Friends, he doesn't only, only show mercy. God is merciful. And if you claim the name of Christ, you ought to also be merciful. In Luke chapter 6, there's a, what many say is a parallel account of the Sermon on the Mount. There's some debate on that, whether this is the same sermon or a different sermon. In a, in a different setting, a lot of the similar teachings, it's abbreviated. But if you look at uh, in the sermon there in, in Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 35, he gives the, the exposition of what it means to be merciful. He says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Verse 36 says, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, some translations actually has a therefore. Some manuscripts in 36 says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Why is that important? Because the therefore links the previous text to what he's about to say. And if you look at the preceding text, right before it says, He himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Because God has been so kind and loving, because God has been so merciful by not giving you what you deserve, because God has been so merciful that he looked down upon your misery and your, your pitiful state and didn't leave you in your sins. Because God has been so merciful to you to allow you to breathe his air, you ought to be merciful to others. Now, there's one thing I do want to point out because we believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone and some have confused this text to say, you know, God, you can only be saved if you're forgiving or you're merciful, right? We've seen the text, if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. Be merciful, for your Father is merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So there's some confusion there. So first, it's important to know that all throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, that salvation is not by works, it's not by how much you can forgive somebody because you can never forgive somebody enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't do enough good works to enter the kingdom of heaven. Salvation is by faith alone. And 
It's not without works. Those who have believed upon the Lord that have put their trust in God, they are merciful and they do good works because they are a new creation. So those who have been regenerated by God, those that have understood the mercy of God, friends, those are the only ones who truly can be merciful to others. So if you struggle with being merciful to others, if you struggle with forgiving others, as I've said in each sermon on the Beatitude, you just got to go backwards in the Beatitude, okay? Don't leave here trying harder, okay? Leave here with a repentant heart, but go back to the Beatitudes. What's missing in your life? Are you not poor in spirit? Do you still feel like you have some goodness and righteousness within you? That makes you boast in pride to where when somebody offends you, you cannot be merciful and forgiving to them, but you have to hold a grudge and a bitterness towards them, which that bitterness turns to malice, rage, and it eventually turns to slander to where you can't say anything good about that person because of all of the unforgiveness that just seeps over time. So perhaps you need to go back to being poor in spirit and mourn a little bit more about your sin. Mourn a little bit more about how you have nothing that you can offer God and become meek and hunger and thirst for righteousness and God will change your heart. Friends, brothers and sisters, when we are merciful, we show the world the very nature of God. When we are merciful to others, we show the world the very nature of our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. We are to love in both word and what? Deed. When you're preaching the gospel, but you won't forgive, you have bitterness, you have all of this stuff, you're not a merciful person, you're giving believers a reason to reject God because they see your life and they hear what you're saying but they also see what you're doing so when we're merciful to others when they see wow he forgave that person he generally loves that person who wrongs you how can that person do that friends the Lord uses that the Lord uses our good works the Lord uses our works and our words to open up sinners blinded eyes and hearts, stony hearts. So friends, to conclude, I want to impress upon you today the great mercy that our God has shown towards you. God has been merciful towards you. He pitied your miserable state. He pitied your miserable state so much that he left heaven and became a man. As it said in Isaiah 50, uh, 52, He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Because of his mercy, he lived a perfect life and fulfilled all righteousness. He lived the perfect life that you and I must live to inherit eternal salvation. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his great mercy by the washing and regeneration 
and renewing by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore, He, Jesus, had to be made like His brethren in all things so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Brothers and sisters, when you grow in your understanding of how merciful God has been to you and I, how could you not be merciful? How can you not forgive that person who's wronged you? And not only forgive them, how could you not pray for them and have pity upon them because they're in such a misery, miserable state? If you've been a receiver of God's mercy today, I encourage you, I encourage you to repent of any unforgiveness or any lack of compassion or mercy that you have towards people. Get alone with God. Ask Him to change your heart to be a more compassionate person, to be a more merciful person to others. And when the opportunity comes, because it will come, you know it does, when you are the recipient of an offense, the recipient of a wrong, although it's not fun, although it may be a long trial, although it might hurt to your core, you can work through that and you can be merciful as God through Jesus Christ has been merciful to you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercy. We thank you, God, for your great love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. And Father, I pray, help me and us, God, to grow in our understanding of how merciful you've been to us, God. How compassionate you've been towards us. Help us, God, to be humbled. Help us to understand how gracious you are. So that we could show the world the love of God. So that our life can back up our words and that we could be merciful to others who have wronged us. We could be merciful both to believers who have wronged us and unbelievers who have wronged us. Oh, Lord, I know for me it's harder when a believer offends me than an unbeliever. God, I pray that you would help us to love the brothers and sisters of Christ when they wrong us, to help us to be merciful to them and not hold them to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to. And Father, I pray that you would use our merciful hearts to draw others to Christ so that when we do present the gospel, Lord, that it would carry such a weight behind it that people would see, wow, they have something that I don't. And they would have open ears and open eyes to see the truth as we share it to them. Lord, we thank you that we can gather in your holy name to worship you. We pray that you be glorified and honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together, hymn number 264, Lamb of Glory. Let's worship together. Story from God's Word. 
that kings and priests and prophets heard, there would be a sacrifice, and blood would flow to pay sin's price. Precious Lamb of glory, love's most wondrous story. Heart of God's redemption of man, worship the Lamb of glory. On the cross, God loved the world, while all the powers of hell were No one there could understand. The one they saw was Christ the Lamb, precious Lamb of glory, love's most wondrous story, heart of God's redemption of man, worship the Lamb of glory. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. It was an honor to worship our Lord with you. I'm going to read uh, he, uh, Romans 15:13 as our benediction. After service, we'd love for you to join us for a brief time of fellowship down the hall in the Rogers room, uh, as fellowship is an important part of uh, the Christian walk. We'd love for you to join us. Uh, so great worship with you all today. Thank you all for coming. If this was your first time coming, welcome. And uh, we hope to get to talk with you afterwards. So our benediction again, Romans fifteen thirteen says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed. Have a good week. See you next time.